I'm a child of God, having my hand, the powerful Word of God, can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Then we say a prayer, Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to the person that you haven't said hello to and tell them hello. And not, oh, no, no, not, no, no, not just hello. You've got to say hello. So come on, one more time. Here we go. Thank you for being flexible today, sister. I love it. Amen, you're missed. We will be in Genesis chapter 12 predominantly today, so if you want to turn there, we are endeavoring this month to challenge you to increase a courageous life. The obvious emphasis will be on fathering. We're, we showed the movie Courageous Friday night. We had our first small group session this morning. It was wonderful. Good study. <clears throat> I, had a, I had a feeling they would get into Joshua. There's an <laughs> that's, the, that's the benchmark place for courage and leadership. Dads need to lead. Can I get an amen? amen? They need to lead. If you're a dad not leading, lead, okay? You might say, Preacher, I have no idea what that means. Let me spend some time with you. I'll be glad to tell you. It won't take us long. The harder part is for you, because <laughs> it takes the rest of your life. Uh, spent a little time on the phone with one of our kids this week. It kind of had a rough week, and I've discovered that it doesn't matter how old you get or how old they are, the dad in you still comes out. <laughs> I could hear the hurt in his voice. I could hear a little bit of frightening stuff in his voice. And I said, you know, <clears throat> until you've been knocked down a few times, you ain't worth much, are you? I remember when I got fired from a, being a preacher. Can you believe that? Getting fired from being a preacher? Actually, I was a youth minister. And they said, we don't need you anymore. You're worthless. Well, that's how I took it. Now, that isn't what they said. But that's how I took it. <clears throat> and so I called a preacher friend of mine and I, that I trusted, and I, I asked him, I had my lip puckered out as far as I could push it. And I had my old crocodile tears rolling down my face. Oh, brother, I've been my brother. You'll love his words of encouragement to, him, to me. I was waiting for the sage advice from this wise old preacher. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, you've been fired two or three times. You ain't worth much anyway. <laughs> no. Not really what I wanted to hear at that moment, amen. <laughs> Truth sometimes can really hurt you, <laughs> but it also was a healing. Because I realized that it's not about me. That's the reason I was in trouble, it's because I made it about me. When we quit making it about us and make it about God, things look a lot differently. So when I began to work on this, these series of messages, 
I began to understand clearly that God wants a call to this church, not only to the dads to be courageous in their homes, but perhaps you as believers to be courageous in your walk with God. And if you will be that courageous person, if you will be that, that person that God can use in a great and mighty way, you have no idea, no idea what God's going to be able to do in and through you <clears throat> during this series and beyond. See, it's, not, it's funny how we'll go through a series and then we go, well, I guess that's it. Well, it just keeps going. You're supposed to take the principles, apply them, and move on. I mean, wives, if your husbands came home and just every now and then kissed you on the cheek and said, yeah, yeah I kind of love you, and then went on, well, you're just you're thrilled to death every time you see that guy, aren't you? Whew. I mean, you know, you got to get a fan out because that guy's walked in the room. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get a fan out, but one that's got a stick on the end of it. So somebody can be prayed for, I understand. You know, go over there and put hands on them and pray for them right around their neck, just like this. But it takes courage to do it in our culture today. And I'm praying that at the end of our four weeks together and our message series together and our study together and our prayer together and our personal decisions that take a lot of courage to work on our marriages, even if we're single or divorced or empty nested or widowed, it doesn't matter because God wants us to be courageous Christians. And I want you to be unapologetic and unashamed to proclaim three things. Men and women alike, young people especially. First one is to stand up for Christ. Unapologetic, unashamed. Stand up for Christ. Secondly, stand against popular culture. I don't know who made the decision to have Madonna sing at halftime at the Super Bowl. All you can do is pray for him. You know what I'm saying? That's all you can do. So many things go through your mind at points like this. And, and as John Maxwell said one time, I heard him say, he said, sometimes you just have to do this and push it on past. So I'm pushing past. So we've got to stand for Christ. I want you to stand against popular culture. And thirdly, I want you to stand strong for your family and their future. See, I'm hearing so much about how the school system's going down and what are kids going to face out here and I wonder about my granddaughter who's four and my new grandson that's still in development I met a young girl this morning two and a half months old sleeping like a rock that's the best spot for two and a, two and a half month olds out amen but you worry a little bit about the culture we live in and how crazy this world is but i'm telling you one thing if god returned today i want him to see me drinking a cup of coffee with my bible open singing praises to my heavenly father somebody said well what's the atom bomb drop man you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be a, a vapor of dust hallelujah i still want him to find me doing what i do enjoy doing with the lord and that's spending time with him singing praises doing spending time with young people hanging out with just anybody who wants to drink a cup of coffee 
Don't take me to Starbucks, though. I'm not a Starbucks guy. I'm not. I'll go. I'll meet you there. And I'll sit and watch you drink their coffee. The coffee ain't right. It's not right. Because it's too strong. That's, that's my problem. I, I, I'm kind of that watered down. I need tea, probably, is what I need. But uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy watching. And, and you gotta, you got to know how to order stuff at Starbucks, don't you? You can't go in and say, I like a cup of coffee. You got to have a group, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, yada, 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 yada. So I told her that one day. I went out and said, I just want a cup of yada, 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 coffee. And she smiled real big and said, you want it light or dark? <laughs> I said, very light. So we got to stand. Stand for Christ. Stand against the popular culture. Stand strong for families in, our, in their future. I believe in the future of our young people. <coughs> because we're going to share Christ with them. And when you got Christ, guess what? Everything else works out. Because what's the old hymn we used to sing? Is the world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You got it. We're just passing through anyway. <laughs> just passing through. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 31, it says this. One day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, his grandson Lot, and his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Now I want to open with that verse before we get into chapter 12 because it's important to let you know that Terah and his family were on the way to the promised land without even realizing it. Have you discovered in your walk and journey with God that sometimes you end up in places that God wanted you to be, but you didn't know how you got there or why? But it's always great to know that he's there when he got there. Because he is. Psalm 139 says that. It said that, shared that a couple weeks ago. Psalm 139, he knows where you're going, and he's already there waiting on you. Isn't that great? That's great. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of... Uh, Scaredy cat, when, when I travel and I'm in a new place, I don't know where I'm going. Cindy's more adventuresome than I am. But uh, I was sitting and watching the Hall of Fame, Football Hall of Fame uh, thing yesterday. And I was just kind of, you know, going, wow, wow. And just a year or so ago, she had me close to Canton, Ohio, but it was in February. Now, February in Canton, Ohio is not a good time to be anywhere. In Ohio, why do you go to Ohio in February? But here we go. Because I wanted to go so I could go to Canton, Ohio and see the Football Hall of Fame. The next morning when I got up, there was eight feet of snow on the ground. And I looked at it and I said, we're not going. I just, all these, I was a scaredy cat. So I let her get out in that snow and drive and do her work while I sat in the hot tub in, in the hotel and watched it snow outside. It was much safer and better than... Canton, Ohio, up by the Great Lakes. I was scared of cat. I needed more courage. But I was almost there. I was almost to the promised land. If you're a football fan, the promised land is a hall of fame. I heard all these guys say, well, you don't ever go into football hoping you'll get to the hall of fame. I ain't buying that at all either. You're hoping that you play well enough to get there. Amen? Just like you and I hope we play well enough to get to heaven. The good news is, I can guarantee your trip to heaven through the blood of Jesus. You don't have to hope you play well enough. 
Game's already over. <laughs> Victory's been won. How? You just sit back and say, hallelujah, and receive it. They were on their way, didn't even know they were on their way. This morning I want to talk about courage versus complacency. Courage versus complacency. Because it's really important. The first item that I want you to see in Genesis chapter 12 is that courageous Christians follow God's promise into the unknown. Let's look at verses 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. And Abram was just a young fellow when he left Haran. What does your Bible say? How old was he? <coughs> we consider 75 to be an old person. No. <laughs> I had a feeling I'd get some response. <coughs> Seventy-five is just a mere child, Brother Ralph back there. What are we working? Ninety-three now, Ralph? Ninety-four. Still driving. And he'll whip you if you get close enough to him, so just watch out. And then he'll expect you to buy him some coffee at McDonald's, so it's all right. They did back back then. That's what I'm saying. Seventy-five, he's just a punk compared to what the Bible said, you know. Because most of them are seven, eight hundred years old. Wow. I don't think I want to stick around that long, just to be honest with you. But complacent says, stick to the status quo. If Abram was going to be complacent, he would have stayed right where he was. Even though God called and God said, hey, go. Pack it up and move. Courageous says, grab your stuff and let's go. <laughs> now, I, just, I still wrestle with this story. I was sharing it with the teenagers Wednesday night in our lesson time. Can you imagine, I asked them, I said, would you, can you imagine your mothers, if your dad walked in and said, okay, babe, we're moving. First thing she's going to ask you, where are we going? I don't know. How are we going to get there? We're walking. How much can I take with me? Everything. You're not giving me a moving van, you're not bringing me a car, nothing. I just got to carry it all. We got to carry it all on our pack mules. Here we go. Now, you shouldn't talk about your kids like calling them pack mule. Well, you know what I'm saying. You've got to put them on a pack mule. Yeah, we've got to go. Now, how many, I asked him, I said, how many of you think your mothers are going to say, oh, sounds good. Okay, let's all pack it up, guys. <laughs> they all looked at me and said, you've lost your mind. Now, you ladies today, you moms sitting in here today, if your husband came home today and said, God told me that we need to move. And you said, where? And he, and he said, I don't know. She said, then you're going without me. <laughs> Can I get an amen, ladies? Oh, y'all don't trust God or your husband, do you? Praise God. <laughs> Abraham never made it past Haran with his father. He had never seen Canaan before, and following God would mean going to a land that was so full of unknowns. I used to challenge my children when they were in school. 
I'd pick them up in the afternoon. I'd say, did you make a new friend today? And they'd say, no, damn, we didn't make any new friends today. There's always that old typical answer, right? What I was trying to get them to understand is there's always new kids who need somebody to give them a word of encouragement. I asked the Wednesday night group, I said, you know any special needs kids at your school? And they, oh, yeah, we work with them. I said, how do you feel when people pick on them? Don't like it at all. I said, yeah, you shouldn't like it. Because they're just as special to God as you are. And Abram, he could have stayed, but he didn't. Archaeology reveals that the Ur of the Chaldeans was a prosperous place. God had put them there and Terah had stayed and they were going to stay right there, but no, God said, move on. And Abram's father, though he had set out for the Canaan, he stopped halfway. Genesis 11 gives us the genealogy of the firstborn for each generation from Shem to Abram. Terah was the firstborn of Nahor, who was the firstborn child of Serug. That long history of firstborns would have yielded quite a household. Following his father's death, Abram would have borne the responsibility for maintaining the wealth of his father and managing that abundant household. So if he had stayed, everything would have worked out great for Abram's future. He would have taken over the family business and everything would have been great. <coughs> but here's the task that made it difficult. Abram was to step out and leave that land of his father. Being the eldest son, he would give up those positions. And at 75, advancing in age, he still had no sons. Abram had no sons. But according to verse 4 we read just earlier, he left and went. And the reason he did it was the promise of God. With a promise like God gave him, who wouldn't go? Well, of course, those who are complacent, those who are afraid, those who don't trust. Abram was in neither camp because he heard the call and the promise of God and he obeyed. Children need fathers, parents who know the promises of God and who are willing to follow those promises regardless of the risk. Irma Bombeck once said that raising children is similar to flying kites. You spend a lifetime trying to get them off the ground. You run with them until both, you're both breathless. They crash you add a longer tail. You patch and comfort, adjust and teach and assure them that someday they will fly. Finally, they are airborne, but they need more string and you keep letting it out. And with each twist of the ball of twine, the kite becomes more distant and you know it won't be long before that beautiful creature will snap the lifeline that bound you together and soar free and alone. Only then will you know that you did your job. But I got to thinking about these promises of God and I want you to I want you to see some this morning.
two and a half minutes of the promises of God. Can you believe that? You see all those promises that he makes to us? And it's incredible how much he loves us and cares about us. And it just makes sense, parents, to just rely on God, to lean on God, to trust in God. And he'll provide for your every need. He'll give you the courage when you don't have it. He'll give you the strength when you need it. He'll give you the patience when needed. Secondly, courageous Christians follow God's power against the impossible. Now, complacency says, I can't be done. Can't be done. Are you kidding me? There's no possible way. In churches, you hear them talk about it can't be done that way. We've never done it that way. We can't possibly do it that way. Have you lost your mind? Preachers, he slipped. He's, in a, he's had a stroke. He wants us to do what? There's a church that I know of every Sunday. I started to try it here. I just thought it would be fun to watch some of your faces. But every Sunday, this church says, as the offering plate is passed, listen, if you need something, if you have a need financially, well, just reach in the bucket and take out what you need. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? That's incredible. Or, if you've been in church a while, you're going, well, how are we going to pay our bills? I know of another church that they, they got their families in their church and, and, and began to look at their financial pictures and they started taking, they, they tried to do two a year. They have them bring all their debts to the church. They raise the funds to pay off that family's debt and get them debt free. Now they've got to go through a series of classes so they don't get back there. You understand what I'm saying? They train them how not to get back in that. But boy, what a, what a burden lifting thing that would be. Amen. I don't know, guys. It takes faith. And courageous Christians follow God's power against the impossible, but complacency says it can't be done. How can you have a church of 200 in a building that only seats 110? I don't know. God does. Maybe we have to come at different times. I don't know. That's not my problem. My problem is to love people. Teach people. And if we'll love and teach them and respond to them the way Jesus responds to them, whoo, 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 whoo. Plenty of big ones out there. You can go hide in those big ones. But you know what I've discovered? You can hide in little ones too. Sure can. But complacency says can't be done. Courageous says with God the battle's already won. <laughs> with God it's all done. I imagine Eli and Brady would love to have that victory already right wrapped up and done, wouldn't you? I bet you they'd just soon not play that game at all. $7,000 for a ticket. Write your check. Place will be packed. There's people. One lady said, I'm dipping into the college fund just so she could go to the game. How? You get a better seat at your house with a bucket of popcorn in your lap.
Abram passed through the land that was already inhabited. Moses was writing about 700 years after the fact and would have had a point of reference for Canaan that included the beastly nature of the warring inhabitants that Abram encountered. Common sense would have spoken doubt into the promise of God because the land of promise was already full of people. Look at verse 6, chapter 12. Traveling through Canaan, they came to a place near Shechem and set up camp beside the Oak of Moray. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Oh, we're not, we're not welcome here. It doesn't matter what obstacles you face. The courageous response is belief in God. His word and His promise can be trusted. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am going to give you this land to your offspring. And Abram built an altar there to commemorate the Lord's visit. You see, it's not enough to say we're believers. You've got to show that you are. I didn't get an amen there, by the way. This side's amen. I'm sorry. Amen. amen. Hallelujah. It's over here. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm going left. Hallelujah. There we go. Oh, i got to keep trying. I'm going to have to put something up on the front here so you got to left. The battle cry of the believer should be sacrificial worship. You think you got a problem in the public school? Then get yourself involved and try to stop it. Oh, they won't listen, preacher. Really? Sometimes they talk different if you're just sitting in the room. Oh, they don't know who I am. Take me. I'll go with you. I love to sit and grin at them. And they do know who I am. And I love it. I love to go sit and grin at them. And then occasionally I'll do this and keep grinning. The last time I was invited to pray for the city council... They canceled the meeting. <laughs> oh, well. The city manager didn't call me, but I just thought that was great. I wasn't going to, I was just going to pray a prayer of encouragement at the end <laughs> to worship God. To worship God, Abram showed us, was instinctive. God spoke to him. He then built something to commemorate that visit. What are we building in our homes? Do we have home altars in our place? You should. You should. If you have a room that's just empty and like raising families, you've got an empty room, right? But if you happen to have one that could be used for a worship area, boy, make it so. I love to go into homes where people have done that, where they have set up a room that they use it for their worship area. They've got their music. They've got their, their prayer time in there, their reading time. In. It's an amazing place. We have a room like that at our church right down the hallway. So you can't go in there without feeling the Spirit of God right there. I encourage you to come use it. It's what's there for. Abram didn't have a road map or a trip itinerary. He had no idea where he was going. He was simply following the voice of God. Children need parents who worship. Not just when God 
provides. When he provides results. You see, they need to pray when God isn't even bringing things to you. They need to show, you need to have your Bible open and your notepad there and let your kids see that you're in the Word of God. That you're in the Word of God. I'm watching some of these young people begin to post on Facebook Scripture instead of some of the other stuff they used to post. I'm encouraged by that. I don't know about you, but I am. If we'll take a stand with the Word, guess what? God's going to show up and take a stand with us. I just showed you two and a half minutes worth of His promises. Amen? Thirdly, courageous Christians follow God's plan for the future. Complacency says, oh no, it's about now and it's all about me. See, that's the problem with believers today is that they want everything done for them. You want to get your way to, you want to get to heaven? Then the preacher's got to somehow preach enough to get you there so you get there. I can preach until I'm blue in the face, but I can't get you there if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Can't good your way, can't pay your way, can't hope your way, can't serve your way, you can't lead your way. You can only do it through surrender to Jesus Christ. That's it. It's the only way you get to go. But well, once you do that, it's a great day. I tell young people that you really shouldn't even be baptized until you're willing to obey your parents 100%. And they look at me really funny. Now, didn't you speak this way? Somebody came and said, when we baptized, I was running into the water right then. Well, come on. Because I wanted notches on my belt about how many people I baptized. Look here, boy, I baptized. No, no. Then God finally laid on my heart. What are you doing? What are you doing? I said, but God, it says in Acts 2.38 that we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, you missed a word. So I had to go back and look. I said, oh, it's just a little word. We'll read it. No, we got to get them in the water. Get them in the water. What word am I skipping? I'm sorry? Say it loud. Ah, repent. Repent. Oh, that's a good Bible word. Like propitiation, you know. You say it and people go, whoa, man. What do you say? Yeah. What is repent? I love it. I was talking to two, two kids just a week or so ago. I said, you know what repent is? And they looked at me with their eyes rolling up in their head. I said, do you argue with your sister? Oh, all the time. Repent means you're not going to anymore. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, the task just got hard. Do you obey your parents when they tell you to clean up your room? Oh. Repent means that's what you're going to do. So if you're not willing to do that, why go to the water? Because you'll never serve God. Because you're going to argue with God about when he says, give me everything you have. You're going to argue with God when he says, attend church on Sunday. You're going to argue with God when he says, go out into the world and make disciples. You're going to argue with God when he says, it's not about you, it's about me. Because we live in a culture that says, it's all about me. That's what we build big churches for, for about people. Whew. I mean to tell you. And it is about people. I, I love the big church. Don't get me wrong. I think it's awesome. I'm, I don't still think I'm the preacher that can be in a big church like that. I don't, I don't know. God's never led me that direction. I've been in churches like this all of my life, and I love it. 
I love it because I'm down here on the floor with you. I'm not up there. I'm down here with you because I'm struggling the same struggle you struggle with. And I wish I could say, and I do it without sin. <laughs> and some of you go, oh, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. yeah. But courageous says, it's about the future in my family. The average response to the call of God is, what's in it for me? All of God's promises to Abram were future tense. Abram had a fairly good in indication that God's promises would not be for his immediate future. But instead, it was a long distance promise. It would take nine months for him to get the minimum benefit of one of the promises. How old was Sarah when she conceived and had a child? 99 years old. Or 90. She was 90 and he was 100. Hello. Hello. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm staying out of that nursing home. I don't know about you, but... Dangerous around there. I tell women all the time, don't laugh at God. Don't you laugh at God. Eli will say, oh, really? Abram could naturally sense that being the father of nations was a long way off. But he got to start with one, didn't he? And they continue even with us today. Now, the Negev was a difficult place to live. That's where God was taking him. Although it was suitable for herding, it was not a proper place for farming. And so in the meantime, complacent would not have been content living in difficulty and waiting for the promises of God to unfold. Complacency is often impatience in times of stress looking for comfort. <laughs> Cindy and I hadn't been to the grocery store in a while. We're on our way home last night and we just spent, because we, we had to replenish about everything. We, you know, we're just, we'd open the refrigerator and there'd be cold water sitting there. That was it. And milk that we're not sure how old it is, but it actually moves at us when we open the, the, the fruit. So we're riding home, and we're, we've been shopping, and we've picked up all this stuff, and we've got it all in the back of the car, and we're riding along, and she goes, well, where do you want to stop for dinner? I said, we just did. Well, she made the most wonderful dinner last night at home, and we had a great time, just the two of us. Oh, and, and Lizzie, our dog, she has to also always get involved in that. But it was a wonderful time, just the two of us. I look at her more and love her more every day than I ever have. It takes courage to love each other, to stay with each other, to be with each other, to enjoy each other. I enjoy going to Jack and Arlene Franklin's house and she can't get around as good as she'd like. She's getting better. The last time I was over there, I couldn't find them. Their daughter called me and said, I can't get them on the phone. And sure enough, I get over there. Jack's just coming down from the roof of the house. Arlene's inside wondering what, what's all the commotion. Dropped the phone or turned it off or something. But the sister, sister got real excited. <laughs> and then we had a wonderful visit. But to watch them interact with each other, I just love it. According to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, Abraham didn't receive the promise of his faith before he 
tasted death. In fact, in Hebrews eleven thirteen, it says, all these faithful ones died without receiving what God had promised them, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed the promises of God. They agreed that there were no more than foreigners and nomads here on the earth. So he died while exercising faith that God would keep his promise. Courageous gets the big picture, sees the marathon as being more important than the sprint. The testimony of God was only was the only interest that Abraham received. Abraham heralded in Hebrews as the father of faith, but he didn't get to see it all happen. Living in the present with the future in mind is very difficult. Knowing that the decisions you make as a dad or a parent bear greatly on generations to come should bring cause and pause in your life. If you'll keep a heavenly perspective about life, it'll be key in protecting our future and our families. Anybody can fight. Anybody can kill. It takes a lot bigger person to love. A huge person to love. So who are you loving today? J. Vernon McGee, he's a famed Bible teacher. Boy, you got to hear this. I wonder what God would say to us today as he sees all of our so-called Christian organizations in ceaseless activity but no action, motion but no movement, the burgeoning building program proclaiming astronomical figures in cost and people reached is indeed impressive. The mushroom growth of both churches and organizations would seem to indicate a healthy condition. The polls which give such a large percentage of evangelicals would appear to be a sign that we are marching to Zion. But before we sing onward, Christian soldiers, let's find out how many are marching. We're not even standing on the promises. We're sitting on the premises. We're not stalwart soldiers of the faith. We are paper dolls playing church in our bigger and better sanctuaries. We are seeking entertainment, not instruction or inspiration in our smug complacency. We do not have a vision or concern for a lost world out there that has not even heard the Word of God. No more powerful words written than by J. Vernon McGee. We're playing around at church, people. We've got friends and relatives that are dying and going to hell and we don't really care enough to bring them with us. To bring them to a relationship with Christ. Complacency is not an option. It's no longer an option for the church that wants to go forward. God is calling us to step out in faith and do the hard things in raising our families and in obeying God as believers. And if you're a single parent today here in this church, I am so proud of you for doing the work of two people because you are doing a mighty work for God. And the fact that you get them to the church house, amen, amen. Stepping out in faith may cost us friends. It may cost us status. It may cost us a lot. But what it gains us is access to the fulfilled promises of God and a perspective on heaven. What it costs us to live courageously will ultimately be worth it. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for these that are here this morning. Your word is very clear about what you expect from us. 
And so, God, I'm asking today that there might be someone in this room that will have the courage to say, I'm going to step out, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to be counted. I'm going to be that courageous father at home. I'm going to be that courageous parent at home. And God, I'm going to take it a step further and be that courageous person at church. I'm going to be a difference maker. I'm going to use what time, talent, and treasures you've given me. And I'm going to give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. Father, I don't know what decisions are on the hearts of people here this morning. Some may be looking for a church home that they'd like to say, well, I want this to be my church home and they want to place membership for this church. That's, that'd be awesome. Love to visit with them more if they haven't talked about that before. Maybe there's someone in this group that's never claimed you as their Savior. They don't really understand what that means. I'd love to sit down with them in the Scripture and show them what you mean by that, by that repent and be baptized thing in Acts 2.38. And God, there might just be a, a host of folks that need to fall on their knees and call out to you to be courageous people. As Esther learned from Mordecai, who but for such a time as this, and we don't know, we don't know, we live in perilous times, Father. But I know one thing, you're still on the throne. You've never stepped down, and you don't plan to start. But you will honor those who stand with you, you will honor those who love you, and you will honor those who obey you. So I'm calling for people in this church, those visiting today, to be willing to take a stand. Whatever decision they have, would they make it today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.